you're interested in running for school board, magistrate, or even state representative, you need Get Elected. From campaign websites and printed materials to platform development and strategy, Get Elected helps down-ballot Republican candidates reach more voters and win more elections on a tight budget. Visit GetElected.org to learn more. Good afternoon, Pittsburgh, and welcome to The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. This is Sam DeMarco, host of The Elephant in the Room, the broadcast show here from the Republican Committee of Allegheny County. And boy, do we have a lot of news for you folks today. The PA Senate race, which until who thought that this thing was going to last, you know, almost a month, but it's now finally concluded. David McCormick, a candidate from Allegheny County, conceded to Dr. Mehmet Oz last Friday evening. And this past week here, the results of the recount were known. And it should give reassurance to the people in Pennsylvania that their elections are on the up and up because the recount, the numbers were barely changed. The official results are that Mehmet Oz won by 951 votes. So, folks, that's barely a change from what had been reported previously and what had been contested during the race. Now, there were a lot of questions. The Corbett campaign, which was winning a larger percentage of the mail-in ballots, you know, thought that there were a number of mail-in ballots out there that would, in fact, deliver them the win. But one of the things that's difficult in Pennsylvania to understand is, while you have these ballots, how many of them are Democrat and Republican? And that's because when the state went to mail-in voting back in 2020, some folks were concerned that having a D or an R on the outside of the envelope could cause their ballots to be treated differently by the postman or by someone else. So those are removed. So now no one knows by looking at the ballot itself, you know, whether it was taken and submitted by a Democrat or Republican. So while on election night, there were 29,000 ballots out there remaining to be counted, you know, the number of Republican ballots and the difference that they were going to make weren't enough to help Mr. McCormick uh, win this race. So we want to congratulate on our show, Dr. Mehmet Oz, for his win here. And now he is the nominee for the United States Senate in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. John, I'm very excited about this. I had an opportunity to talk to Dr. Oz. We pledged our support and full cooperation. And he's excited about coming here. As a matter of fact, yeah, he will be actually here Monday. So to all of our listeners here, we want to do kind of a call to action segment here. And so we want to let you know about all the upcoming events here in Allegheny County. So speaking of Dr. Mehmet Oz, he will actually be here on Monday, June 13th at 7 p.m. down in Bethel Park at Level 20 Bar and Grill at 1033 Paxton Drive. Again, that's at 7 p.m. here. I know, Sam, you'll be there. I believe you will be introducing him. I would expect a large turnout for this. And if anybody's interested, you can RSVP to Joe at DrOzForSenate.com. Again, J-O-E at Dr. DrOzForSenate.com. It's all spelled out. More information will be on our Facebook page, and we also be sharing that information in our newsletter. I'm looking forward to that. I'll be there, Sam. You'll be there, and it should be a good turnout. And John, introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm John Schneider. I'm the executive director here, and I kind of manage the day-to-day operations at our office here and uh, keep everything kind of running smoothly, I guess you could say. Well, I guess we could say, right? No, I guess John we does could an, say we do the best. And John does an excellent job here, and we're very fortunate to have him and excited to have him here as part of the show. So, yes, I'm looking forward to Monday night yeah. where Dr. Oz is going to be here for this meet and greet. And you know what? I've had an opportunity to attend a number of his events in the past, and he always does a phenomenal job. I mean, you know, the 13 years that he's had a broadcast television show has certainly contributed to making him a, an outstanding media personality, and he brings that charisma and that showmanship you know, to his appearances. So I'm very excited about this. I know it's going to be a great meeting. So looking forward to it. little Ronald Reagan on him, I guess. Just a little, huh? Yeah, Ronald Reagan used to do those General Electric shows, the radio shows, okay? Tell those stories, right? We're looking forward to having him. 
and uh, looking forward to helping him as he moves on or launches the general election campaign here and moves on looking towards November. Now, a lot of news this past week, okay? You got the Democrats, they're out there, and they want to hold these January 6th committee hearings, and they want to make these and hold these in prime time, okay? And you and I and many of our listeners know that this is just a show, right? Democrats are headed for a shellacking, to be kind, in the midterms, with over 8% inflation, record gas prices for the first time ever in this country, average gas prices are over $5 a gallon. You have a baby formula shortage where parents aren't able to feed their children. We have an invasion at the southern border, which is just not allowing you know, illegal immigrants to come across our borders and enter this country illegally. You know, and, and with them, I mean, we have folks that are, you know, have been deported previously, have been convicted of crimes, you know, but it's not just the people aspect of it. It's what's coming with them. And that's opioids and fentanyl. Much of the fentanyl that's been made in China, but it's being transported by the cartels here into the United States. And we lost last year approximately 107,000 people to opioid and fentanyl abuse. And, and this is terrible, John. And we feel it in every one of our communities. And something needs to stop. So and just those few things, not to mention the humiliation we suffered in Afghanistan, the chaos that is going on in the Ukraine, you know, the testing in North Korea with them firing ballistic missiles into the sea. You got China taking and encroaching on its neighbors in the South China Sea. I mean, this administration is a wreck. So knowing that and knowing the Democrats are going to get crushed and a red wave is coming, they're looking to do whatever they can to try to change the story, change the subject, throw something else out there, and they don't have anything. So they want to use these January 6th hearings. Uh, you know, Sam, I have you ever recall seeing hearings during prime time television like this? That just strikes me as odd that they're, you know, usually this is on C-SPAN at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, but now they're doing this on Thursday, prime time. It just seems a little surprising, fishy to me. Well, you know, again, it's, it, it's not fishy if you understand it, which is it's not designed for anything yeah. other than trying to attract the American people to something where they can try to make a case or claim that doesn't exist. I don't know if you saw the other day, the FBI arrested a Michigan Republican gubernatorial candidate on January 6th charges. This is unbelievable. A Republican candidate for governor in Michigan was arrested by the FBI and charged with misdemeanors for his role in the U.S. Capitol riot on January 6th, 2021. They raided, his name is Ryan Kelly. They raided his home in Allendale, Michigan on Thursday morning. And NBC News, how about this? This will remind you, you know, like just like the CNN thing. NBC News received a tip about the raid, which was confirmed by a law enforcement official. Now, again, look, we all, any upstanding citizen, any good Republican condemns what took place at the Capitol on January 6th. But Democrats' attempts to try to make this into something of some sort of insurrection or anything else, I'm not aware of anybody actually having been charged with insurrection, okay? So, again, it's, it's just a show, and they're trying to do what they can to change the subject, but it's not going to work. And you know why? Because the American people have moved past January 6th. And they did that a long time ago. But what they can't move past are the bills that come to them in the mail and the bills they see when they check out at the supermarket, when they fill up their tank at the gas station, when they see the decreased buying power that their paychecks have. Every day, they're getting a vivid reminder that this administration isn't doing what it needs to do to take care of the American people. And I believe they're determined to demonstrate their dissatisfaction on November 8th here. What do you think? 
I agree wholeheartedly, Sam, with uh, your same sentiments here. Again, I just think it's just their attempt to cover up the reality of what the taxpayers are facing right now with inflation and uh, shortage of much needed baby formula and other essentials. I mean, look, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We've known that we have a supply chain shortage in this country, okay? But I don't understand why, you yeah. know? You have the Obama, excuse me, the Obama, but it doesn't seem, but you know what? The Obama administration looks good compared to the Biden sure administration, does. okay? But you have the Biden administration here going out there and telling people, you know, don't believe your lying eyes. Don't believe the experience that you have when you go to the supermarket and you go to check out and you see the bill's $100 and you're walking away and there's not much there. It fits in one or two bags, okay? When you go to the gas station and you go to fill up your tank, it's costing you 90 to to $100, right? And I'm not talking about a truck here. I'm just talking about a mid-sized car, you know? I mean, this is unacceptable. And people are changing their daily habits. They're not driving as much. They're not going to things they would typically go to. And it's really impacting their day-to-day uh, lifestyle. Now, John, how's it impacting your lifestyle? Truth be told, I mean, I try and drive less a little bit. You know, I consolidate all my errands, which probably is maybe a good thing. But it, at the same time, I don't like to have that kind of overshadowing me everywhere I go. I don't want to. You know, I actually just got a BJ's Wholesale Membership Club so I can save money on gas. So, I mean, I could say that's a, a direct impact I've had. But, again, I think it just – I try and save money where I can. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I, I use Sam's Club. Yeah. You know, I'm a member of Sam's Club, and I go there and uh, because it's always like 20 cents or more a Gee. gallon. But it's not just how high the prices are. It's how they're rocketing up. I mean, stuff is going up like 20 cents overnight. Yeah. You know, and when you were just talking about how people are changing the way they live, you know, I saw a news article here up in Michigan. A Michigan police department says higher gas prices have forced them to rethink how they're going to handle non-urgent calls. The Isabella County Sheriff's Office in Central Michigan, home of Mount Pleasant, said in a Facebook post this week that due to higher fuel prices, they have asked deputies to manage what they can over the phone. Now think about this. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. Right? But so when we talk about how families are strapped, so many of local governments and municipalities are also going to be strapped, whether it's your police department, your fire, your public works, all these folks that use vehicles, this is going to blow huge holes in their budget. And where do they go? They go back to the taxpayer who's already being squeezed and doesn't have anything else to give, and they're going to want more money. Folks, we'll talk about some more of these things that are taking place, some more of the smoke and mirrors that are being told to you in Washington when we come back on The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hungered in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Folks, welcome back to the Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. I'm Sam DeMarco, and boy, we have some more to talk about here. Now, folks, you know, we mentioned in the earlier segment, we talked a little bit about January 6th. Now, Democrats are trying to make a big deal out of January 6th. But I don't know if you know, just like the lies that they told for almost three years, about the Trump administration and Russia collusion and the whole bit, and more lies have been told. They're holding hearings because they want to take and use something against Republicans as we head into the fall and hear all the things that the Trump administration said we're finding out are true. Just as there was no Russian collusion, 
There was no none of that. I want to talk about January 6th because for January 6th, four days before January 6th, the Trump administration through the DOD had reached out to the Capitol Police asking them about the possibility of sending National Guard troops to the U.S. Capitals four days before the January 6th riots. Now that set in motion a series of rejections by Capitol Police and Democrats that left Congress vulnerable as these threats of violence were arising. Now that's according to government memos that validate what the Trump administrations have long held took place. Matter of fact, an official timeline of the January 6th tragedy assembled by Capitol Police shows that a Defense Department official reached out to a Capitol Police Deputy Chief, Sean Gallagher, on January 2nd to see if a request for troops would be forthcoming. But the offer was quickly rejected after a consultation with then-Chief Steve Sund. Then Carol Corbin with the DOD, she texts the United States Capitol Police Deputy Chief, Sean Gallagher, to determine whether they're considering a request for National Guard soldiers. And the timeline reads in the lone entry listed for Saturday, January 2nd, 2021. The following morning, the timeline stated that Gallagher had replied to DOD via text that a request for National Guard support would not be forthcoming at the time after consultation with Chief of Capitol Police, Chief Sund. Now, that rejection, that came as the Capitol Police Department was beginning to change its assessment, recognizing that the massive Trump rally to protest the November 2020 election results had the potential for violence. Earlier analysis suggested that such violence was unlikely and that the January 6th rally was likely to be similar to the previous million MAGA March rallies in November and December. For instance, Capitol Police had determined that as of December 16, 2020, there was no information regarding specific disruptions or acts of civil disobedience targeting that function. But this all changes. Late December, Capitol Police internal emails and documents show information began flowing in that some groups expected to attend were talking on social media or fringe websites about tactics like blocking tunnels leading to the Capitol. Now again, on Sunday, January 3rd, just hours after Gallagher had rejected the Pentagon's initial offer, the Capitol Police issued a new and darker security assessment to its commanders and executives and to the two political appointees in Congress responsible for security. That would be the House and Senate Sergeants-at-Arms. Now, both of these folks reported to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Now, due to the tense political environment following the election, the threat of disruptive actions or violence could not be ruled out, the new assessment declared. Supporters of the current presidency, January 6th, is the last opportunity to overturn the results of the presidential election. This sense of desperation and disappointment may lead to more of an incentive to become violent. Now, that's what they were reporting, okay? So the Capitol Police, at the same time, they're turning down the offer for National Guard troops to help augment security. You know, they're taking and changing their threat assessments. So within 24 hours, Chief Sund had changed his mind and then began seeking permission from the political powers surrounding House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer to deploy the National Guard as a preventive measure on Monday, January 4th. Now, the Capitol Police, again, their official timeline, that provides the most succinct summary of a series of events around Sun's request, some of which have been disputed and at times misreported in the news media. So here we go, John. Four days before DOD offers troops, Capitol Police turns them down, right? Capitol Police then, through their internal intelligence decides that, you know what, hey, something might occur. So they submit a request that they want to take and ask for National Guard troops, but they can't get Nancy Pelosi and these folks to move. So Chief of the Capitol Police Sun asked Senate Sergeant-at-Arms Michael Stanger and House Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving for authority to have the National Guard to assist with security for the January 6th event. Based on a briefing with law enforcement partner 
in revised intelligence assessment. Now, Chief Sun's request was denied. Chief Sun was told to contact General Walker at D.C. National Guard to discuss the Guard's availability to see how they would be able to respond in support of requests if needed. Walker, according to the police timeline, told Sund that if the chief could change minds and eventually get the approval from Capitol officials, his team could deploy 125 troops, you know, quickly. Now, you know, that is just a fraction. You know, when the administration and the Department of Defense reached out, they asked them about the possibility of deploying as many as 20,000 National Guard troops in advance of that rally. So, you know, this request had been done, and this was according to a Interviews that were done with then-acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller and his chief of staff, Cash Patel. So they're saying that they went to the Capitol Police and the Secret Service and law enforcement agencies and Mayor Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., days before January 6th, and asked them, hey, do you want thousands of National Guardsmen and women for January 6th? They all said no. Why did we do that? And they said the law requires them to request before they can deploy. And the DOD Inspector General found that the government did not delay they actually prepared in a preemptive fashion, which is what they do at the Department of Defense. <clears throat> but these political figures denied and would not allow it to happen. You know, DOD support via the National Guard was refused by the House and the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms who report to Pelosi. Now they have it in their own writing days before January 6th. And despite the FBI warning of potential for serious disturbance, no perimeter was established, no agents put on the street, and no fence put up. So his words circulated around the nation's capital that Sun wanted National Guardsmen deployed, Muriel Bowser wrote a preemptive letter to Miller and other Pentagon and Justice Department officials asking that the troops not be deployed unless the Metropolitan Police Department approved, citing an incident in the summer of 2020 when troops were deployed at Lafayette Park near the White House during the civil disobedience. So you remember the riots and the protests they had? Yes. And they called it civil disobedience. Folks, it was a riot. You had, I don't know how many, hundreds, hundreds of Secret Service personnel were injured. As rocks and bottles and other projectiles were thrown at them, and the barriers were pushed, and fires were set, and they called civil disobedience. Yeah, it goes way beyond that. It was a riot. So Bowser wrote in her January 5th letter that the earlier episode caused confusion and could have become a national security threat with no way for the MPD and federal law enforcement to decipher armed groups. I mean, are, are you kidding me? If you're there in your National Guard uniform. Pretty easy to tell, you know, who they are, right? <clears throat> so to be, she writes, to be clear, the District of Columbia is not requiring other federal law enforcement personnel and discourages any additional deployment without immediate notification to and consultation with MPD, which is their Metropolitan Police Department. If any such plans are underway, she believes her police department was well-trained and prepared to lead the way to ensure January 6th unfolded safely. <clears throat> so much for her confidence in what she had prepared. So in the end, it didn't happen the Capitol and D.C. police were overrun by rioters, and the Guard wasn't deployed until after violence spiraled out of control. It's causing a mad scramble to send troops that had been offered and rejected days earlier, the records show. So, you know, again, you had a lie that was being pushed by the media and folks out there that somehow that this whole thing had been incited by the Trump administration and by the former president himself and the whole bit. And here we have validation from the actual records you know, from these elected officials and from the Capitol Police with the timeline that this thing solely rests on the shoulders of Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer for their failure to act when this support was happening. I mean, can you believe this? And now they want to hold hearings to try to blame someone else for their incompetency and their inaction? John, I'm telling you, I just, I, I'm so outraged, I don't even know where to begin. Folks, we'll be back 
in just a few moments here from the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM. To some, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much, but that's not true. They're testing out vowels and consonants and trying different sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. Again, I'm Sam DeMarco. And we're happy to have you here as our listeners. Now, I'm going to take and turn this over for just a moment to John Schneider, who's going to talk to you about how you can get involved if you're interested and share about a number of events that we're having in this area. Hey, John, take it away. Sure. We encourage everybody to try and get involved where they can. They can help out in so many different ways here. But I do want to share a number of events here happening in Allegheny County within the next like two, two and a half weeks here. We mentioned earlier here, Dr. Oz is going to be with us on Monday here at Level 20 Bar in Bethel Park. That's at 7 p.m. And, you know, please come out and meet Dr. Oz here. Again, a lot more of this information information is going to be available on our Facebook page and through our newsletter. Later in the week, we're going to be uh, supporting Jeremy Schaefer by uh, phone banking, both at his campaign office in the North Hills and at RCAC every Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. And John, let folks know that Jeremy Schaefer is the Republican candidate for Congress in the Pennsylvania 17th Congressional District. And that district runs from Beaver County in kind of the North Hills, and it kind of goes down into the western end of the county. And I think it ends at South Fayette, I think is all kind of wraps around yep. um, there. And also later in that week, Thursday, June 16th, we're doing a meet and greet in Aspenwall with Ted Thompson for state representative in the 33rd district, Jeremy Schaefer again for Congress, who we mentioned here, and Lori Magorski. Again, more of these details will be available on our Facebook page and our newsletter. Jeremy Schaefer is going to be hosting a fundraiser on Monday, June 20th. That's going to be up in Beaver County. It's called a place called The Willows, starting from 530 to 730. He always has great events, and I expect that to be very well attended. We have uh, somebody visiting us from the eastern side of the state, Dave Glotch. He's the congressional candidate in the 5th District, which I believe is Delaware County. He'll be joining us Wednesday, June 22nd from 5 to 6.30 at the Duquesne Club. Again, these details will be made available through our Facebook page and our newsletter. Hey, John, uh, let me just interrupt you for a second Please here. do. <clears throat> Tell folks a little bit about Dave. Dave is running, as you said, in the Pennsylvania 5th Congressional District. He's running against Mary Gay Scanlon. You may recognize that name. She was somebody that got carjacked yes. earlier this year, but yet she wants to take away your rights self-defense from you. <laughs> now, Dave told you a little bit about him, but Dave was a EOD technician in the U.S. Navy here. He's an Annapolis graduate, graduated from the Naval Academy. And he was a, was an explosive ordnance technician with Mobile Unit 2 and then Mobile Unit 12. Now, both of those were out of Little Creek, Virginia, and he deployed to Bahrain with Task Force 56, and then he deployed to Somalia with SEAL Team 4. In between those two, he augmented a few months with another task force in Damneck. <clears throat> so he was discharged and left the service in late summer 2019, but he's coming here so, you know, we have a, a young guy. He's a young guy, but has served his country, representing his community and graduating from Annapolis, the Naval Academy, and going on and serving with the Navy SEAL. So very excited to have Dave visit us. And it was funny because I was talking to him when he called me, you know, and he's, he was saying, you know, I was telling him that I knew. So I'm going to ask him if he knew a friend of mine. From Mount Lebanon here, it's a family. Uh, Jim Smith is a great friend of mine. Uh, Jim is, was an investment banker on Wall Street for a long time, helped put together the financing for the original airport that was the one that we currently have back in the day. <clears throat> but his brother, Bobby, who played football in Mount Lebanon, played football and wrestled, Bobby ended up going to Annapolis, graduating from the Naval Academy, and becoming a Naval SEAL. So Bobby was actually the commanding officer of SEAL Team 2. He was a commanding officer of the Naval Special Warfare Unit 2 in Germany, which oversaw Europe and Africa. Then he became the Commodore 
of Naval Special Group 2, and that's the higher headquarters for all East Coast SEAL teams. While he retired the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, and he's doing a special request, special project for the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. <clears throat> so, I mean, these are guys, these are homegrown folks. You know, Bobby's now down in Virginia, but he's currently working with some of the SEAL teams, preparing them for deployment. But I'd love for him to come back, you know, and run for office. So I'm sorry, just had to throw in the little local angle there. Hey, I love it. I love it. It's great. Just kind of continuing on here on Thursday, June 23rd at 7 p.m., Ted Thompson, who's running for the state house, he's having kind of an exciting, kind of a fundraiser here. It's at the Lernerville Speedway, 313 North Pike Road at 7 p.m. You know, every so often I love when politicians or candidates have fundraisers at kind of unique venues. I'll never forget going to a Rick Santorum fundraiser at the Hearst Potato Chip Factory, and I always thought that was kind of unique. So this one is called the Firecracker 100 Reception at the Lernerville Speedway. So I'm kind of looking forward to that on June 23rd. And then our, our friends in Quaker Valley Republican Committee are hosting what they call a Stake Them Out fundraiser here. That's going to be at Sunny Jim's Tavern on Sunday, June 26th at 7 p.m. here. Kind of a unique kind of play on words there, Stake Them Out. But that is their annual fundraiser on Sunday, June 26th at 7 p.m. here. And just two more events here to share with you. Jeremy Schaefer, again, who we spoke about earlier, is going to be hosting another fundraiser on June 29th. It's going to be a luncheon from noon to 1.30 at the Duquesne Club on June 29th. And our good friend and Mike Doyle here. Now, we call him the real Mike Doyle. Our Mike Doyle, the Republican Mike Doyle, is going to be hosting a fundraiser out in Plum Township on June 29th here. Sam, do you know you, you know Mike pretty well? He's our congressional candidate. He is a very charismatic, very down-to-earth, very personable gentleman who I've got to know recently. We look forward to supporting him on June 29th from 6.30 to 8.30. So those are the uh, upcoming events for the rest of the month here. But again, please you know sign up for our newsletter and uh, visit our Facebook page to get all the details. Well, we're very excited about that because, you know, Mike, I don't know if you saw this the other day as well, but the House GOP election arm, they added his district, PA-12, you know, to their midterm targets list. I mean, you know, we have an opportunity. Many folks thought, hey, Republicans never going to win in the city of Pittsburgh. But due to what the Democratic Party is moving to, you know, in their nomination of Summer Lee, to be their candidate for Congress, I think we have an excellent chance to pick that up. So, hey, folks, we're going to take a break right now, but we'll be back. This is Sam DeMarco from The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. Republican committees, large and small, trust get elected to help them reach more voters, find more volunteers, and raise more money. All to get more conservative candidates elected to important down-ballot positions. And all for less than most of us pay for cable. Visit getelected.org to learn more. Welcome back, folks, to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. I'm Sam DeMarco, and I'm here joined here by John Schneider, our Executive Director at the Republican Committee of Allegheny County. And we're talking about some current news, events, and just general politics in general. So, hey, John, you mentioned in the last segment, you talked about a number of the events that we had. want to let folks know, if you would like to volunteer and to get involved in this red tsunami that's coming here in November, all you have to do is go to our website, www.allegheny.gop. You can sign up and volunteer there, or you can just sign up to get our newsletter. Our newsletter comes out every Thursday evening. It's called the Weekly Trunk. Little play on words there with elephants, and you know you can keep in touch with the happenings here on the Republican Party here in Allegheny County. Now, John, we were talking about a number of other things, and we were talking earlier about January sixth. We were talking about. The investigation, which has uncovered the evidence here that actually the Trump administration was telling the truth and that four days prior to January 6th, that they had taken and offered, you know, up to 20,000 troops from the National Guard to be able to come in and help keep order during this event. And they were turned down by Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer. Now, I know after what we've been through here, 
with almost three years of a Russian collusion narrative that was absolutely false. After all of the information that you've heard about the abuse of the FISA court, you know, you saw the information that's come out with the Durham investigation and regarding, you know, the Sussman acquittal. My gosh, the evidence was right there. You know, that, that defies belief. And I think it's just pure evidence that there's a two-tier justice system in this country, you know, one for Democrats and one for Republicans, you know? And I mean, I think you just saw it. Here's a guy that in text, I mean, they had this guy dead to right. I mean, in text, he told the FBI contact that he wasn't representing a client. He was coming in just behalf of himself, but yet he was submitting bills to through his law firm to the Clinton campaign. You know, for the thumb drives he was using to carry this evidence. He was submitting bills to the Clinton campaign for the time that he met with his FBI contact, James Baker. I mean, and they let this guy go. And then meanwhile, a Trump official, Peter Navarro, they took and arrested him at an airport where they put him in handcuffs and leg irons, okay, doing a perp walk because they held him in contempt for failing to come before this sham January 6th commission. Oh. Why do I say it's a sham? Look, I say it's a sham because Nancy Pelosi rejected the Republican members that Kevin McCarthy attempted to put on the committee, okay? So her rejection, and this is what Mark Meadows and Peter Navarro and other folks are are arguing, is not legitimate and doesn't have subpoena powers because it's not truly a bipartisan, you know, commission. So, but they take and they march this guy out in leg irons because he's defying a subpoena and challenging a subpoena in court. But at the same time, folks are in court with just outright evidence. It was like, don't believe your lying eyes. It's right in front of you. They let these folks go. Well, I set that up because I guess it would come. It's no surprise to you that the FBI has lied again. Okay. And we're talking about FBI chief Comey. He misled Congress's gang of eight over Russiagate. And where does this evidence come from? Lisa Page's memos, okay? So she had done a seven-page internal memo dated March 8, 2017, and it shows the talking points that were prepared for then-FBI Director Comey for his meeting the next day with congressional leadership were riddled with half-truths, outright falsehoods, and critical omissions. Both the Senate and the House, based upon that, opened investigations and held hearings based in part on those misrepresentations. They wasted the taxpayers' money. They wasted our elected officials' time all because of these lies, misrepresentations, and half-truths. Real Clear Investigations reports they reached out to every member of the leadership that were sometimes known then as a gang of eight, and some declined to comment while others did not respond. <clears throat> but the talking points were prepared by Lisa Page. Now, if you want to know who Lisa Page is, most folks who follow or pay attention should probably know, but <clears throat> she was the FBI agent or lawyer that was having the affair with Peter Strzok, who was the main investigator of the Russian collusion theory, okay? So she later resigned from the Bureau amid accusations of an anti-Trump bias, and her comments were used by Comey in his meeting with the Hill leaders. They described the reports the FBI received from a former FBI CHS or confidential human source about former Trump campaign officials Paul Manafort and Carter Page allegedly conspiring with the Kremlin to hack the election. Now, we know none of this was true, but Comey took and reported this to Congress and told them that Manafort initially managed the relationship between Russian government officials and the Trump campaign using Carter Page as an intermediary. He also told them 
that Page was reported to have had secret meetings in early July 2016 with a named individual in Russia's presidential administration during which they discussed Russia's release of damaging information on Hillary Clinton in exchange for alterations in the GOP platform regarding U.S. policies toward Ukraine. Folks, you can't make this stuff up, you know? I mean, but will they ever be held accountable? John, it seems like they never are. No, never. You know, I mean, this is just absolutely you insane. You know, when I talked in the earlier segment, I said, does this sound familiar when I referred to a tip that the NBC News received, you know, similar to when Roger Stone was arrested. How CNN was tipped up and at like 5.30, 6.30 in the morning, they just happened to be sitting with a camera crew right outside hit the door of his home when FBI agents entered and arrested him. Now, that Lisa Page memo, it anticipated concerns about the quality of the information that Comey was relaying and suggested that Comey preempt any concerns with another untruth. The memo advised Comey to tell them that some of the reporting has been corroborated and when none of it was. And to point out that the informant's reporting in this matter is derived primarily from a Russian-based source, which made it sound more credible. Now, by this point, the FBI, we found out through the Durham investigation, the FBI knew that the main source feeding unsubstantiated rumors to the informant is Christopher Steele, a former British intelligence agent paid by Hillary Clinton's campaign to dig up dirt on Trump, was all American-based. And again, this is the FBI director giving testimony to Congress and telling these lies. Complete fabrication. The FBI did not tell the Gang of Eight that Danchenko was working for Steele and did not really have any sources inside the Kremlin. That was according to the script prepared for Comey, which was recently declassified as part of pre-trial discovery in Special Counsel John Durham's probe. The FBI also concealed Steele's identity and the fact that he was working for the Clinton campaign. Now, the FBI first interviewed this source, that Russian national named Danchenko, in January of 2017, and he told them, that the anti-Trump dirt he funneled to steal was dubious hearsay, passed along over drinks with his high school buddies and an old girlfriend named Olga, who'd made up the accusations about Carter Page and Manafort that the FBI relayed to Congress. Think about this. I mean, John, this is unbelievable. We spend, it's almost $5 trillion a year on our government. And we spend how much on our intelligence agencies, on our FBI, and all these different things, NSA, and... Here we have the FBI director just making up things or running with things made up from whole cloth, you know, complete lies, and telling them to our elected officials. And, you know, all this stuff gets out into the public, and the public accepts what they hear on television, you know. And and regardless of how anyone would feel about the former president, I mean, where does this guy go to get his reputation back, okay? How much damage was done to this country and what he could have done to move the country forward, but for the fact that he was— you know, handcuffed because of these investigations and the negative publicity receiving from them. I mean, folks, you know, we do have a crisis in this country. We have a crisis of confidence. We have a crisis in confidence of our institutions, you know, but, you know, I disagree with many of the Democrats who claim that it's all former President Trump that has caused this crisis in confidence in our institutions when really, you know, it's them. It's their taking and using these institutions weaponizing them for political reasons to go after their opponents, you know, and they have no qualms about using false information and things of that nature. So it really is something, uh, it's a shame and we need to do better. And I mean, that whole department needs cleaned out. You know, I don't know. I mean, I feel sorry 
with a rank-and-file FBI agent across this country who does their best every day you know, to do a good job and to keep our people safe and to get bad guys off the street, but who's tarred because of this corrupt leadership you know, at the top. Hey, folks, we'll be right back on The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got his first job? Not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here on 1320 AM. I'm the host, Sam DeMarco, here joined here with John Schneider, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in today. Again, if you would like to get involved, if you would like to help the Republican Party, or you're determined to try to do something, you know, in the wake of this record high inflation, these outrageous gas prices, this incredible shortage of baby formula, and things of that nature, if you want to send a message to the folks in Washington that you've had enough, then visit www.allegheny.gop. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can volunteer to get involved and help, help join us in this Republican wave, which is coming this November. John, you mentioned something a few minutes ago, and we also hadn't talked about it. There's so much news going on. But how about the arrest and the charge of attempted murder for this nut from California who traveled to Washington, D.C. and wanted to kill Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh? Can you believe this? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what unfortunately took place last around this time last year when uh, Judge Salas's son, uh, Daniel, took a fatal bullet after a gunman posed as a delivery driver attempting to assassinate the judge at her home in North Brunswick last year in July of uh, 2021. It, it kind of reminds me the same storyline here. Uh, very tragic. Well, you know, it's, it's not just tragic. I mean, we talk about confidence in our institutions and look at what the left is doing here. You know, that group, Ruth sent us, you know, posted TikTok videos, you know, on the internet, which clearly showed the judge's addresses. You know, they're, they claim to be concerned that based upon the leaked memo that was put out there in regards to the Dobbs case, that the Supreme Court is going to strike down Roe versus Wade. So this nut was incensed about this and felt he needed to do something. So traveled across this country to Justice Kavanaugh's neighborhood where he was stopped a a street over. He had a backpack. He had a gun, a knife. He had pepper spray. He had screwdrivers, a hammer, all kinds of burglary tools and things like that. He intended to break into the justice's home, kill the justice, and then kill himself. And, you know, I mean, I'm old enough to remember here, you know, all the attacks on Sarah Palin or other Republicans who referred to things as a target, with Democrats claiming, oh, you're putting a bullseye on them. And here we have you know, someone looking to potentially assassinate a Supreme Court justice. You know, I seem to remember the majority leader Chuck Schumer out there with his statement saying, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, you have reaped the whirlwinds. You, know, you, you have no idea what's going to happen and what's coming for you. Okay? <clears throat> Completely unacceptable. They have stoked up the division and the hate in this country to unacceptable levels. 
to where our elected officials and our Supreme Court justices, their lives, their families' lives are at risk. And you know what? And I get, again, I can get outraged over this because Speaker Nancy Pelosi refuses, refuses to act on a piece of legislation that was unanimously approved in the Senate to provide security for these folks' homes. Okay, I mean, what do you say to this? What's it going to take? It's going to probably take another tragedy. I hate to say it, though. You know, I've worked for members of Congress and, and a U.S. senator in the past, and we would constantly, we would always be receiving, you know, threats of violence toward the member that we worked for. And we were constantly in touch with the Capitol Police. I mean, it seemed like it was, you know, like a monthly occurrence because it happened so often. But people just get so out, you know, enraged when things happen. And people really need to come to their senses. Listen, I've been the subject of death threats myself, particularly in the wake of the 2020 election. You know, things were being said, tempers were running high, and folks were wishing death you know, upon me and making threats. And you have to sit there and look at these and determine which ones you think are real and which ones are just the rantings of somebody that's maybe had a few too many drinks, you know, or somebody that's uh, maybe on that edge, you know, of sanity or reality. When you received the threats, did you take any preventive actions? Did you contact any local authority? You know, I took what I felt were appropriate steps, you know, to ensure, you know, my security. I mean, I'm not, hey, I'm a big guy. Yeah. I'm not so much worried about myself, although anything can happen, right? Yes. But, you know, you do care about your family, your home, your kids, pets, you know, things of that nature, right? So, uh, you know, I did what I thought was prudent, you know. But again, you can't, as an elected official, you can't allow these nuts to dictate how you serve the, the public. You have to do, the, we do the best that we can, okay? You're never going to make everybody happy. And we recognize that. But I can't tell you the number of complaints, and I call it fan mail that I get, okay? <laughs> and I'm, I'm telling you what, you this stuff would make sailors blush if they listen to some of the things that I've heard have been called. But most of the time, these people have no idea of what's in the real legislation or what the intent of it is or what the real situation is. You know what I mean? And they're going off some half-baked theory, something they read on some fringe internet website, you know, or saw or heard and some got some fringe, you know, internet thing, newsletter. And all of a sudden, you know, that is the news. And it's, it's like crazy to me how folks could look at things like, uh, say, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette or KDKA, or any of our you know, network stations, and they'd see something that was on there, oh, that's fake news, okay? And they don't believe it, but they'd believe anything that they saw on the Internet that came from, you know, some site that, you know, with some just familiar or friendly signing name in it. It's unbelievable. You know, so I am really worried about not just the future of this country, you know, but I'm really worried about where we are at this point in time, you know, and the partisan feelings stoked up so high. Polarization is at an all-time high. I mean, you know, I try to tell folks when they say, oh, it's never been this bad. Well, I tell folks to go back and look at what John Adams and Thomas Jefferson used to say about each other and their families, okay? <laughs> but, you know, to a certain point, I mean, I think we do have a mental health crisis in this country, and that's evidenced by the number of mass shootings and things that we see, you know, things that occur that, you know, there's no easy solution for, Okay. But these same folks are many of the ones who are making these threats and are jeopardizing the safety of our folks out there. And we need to take the appropriate steps to protect these folks.
I mean, have you, do you have any more to add on that? No, I, I don't. It's a scary situation. So let, let, let's see what happens there. I hope that his arrest, this guy's arrest, and I hope they prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law. Sounds like they're serious by charging him with attempted murder, you know, right off the bat here. You know, but we'll see. But they got to send a message to these nuts that this kind of behavior isn't uh, acceptable. You know? Let's talk about some things here in uh, Allegheny County close to home. <clears throat> you know, we've had recently, particularly on the south side, we've had a tremendous number of criminal acts take place. Seems like every weekend, on each weekend night, there are shootings that occur on the south side. We had a someone this past weekend, I believe it might have been Friday night, shots were fired outside of the Cambodian kitchen. That One of the employees went inside to try to call the police and ended up being hit with a stray bullet. His femoral artery was cut, and thank goodness there was someone there that knew how to properly apply a tourniquet. But the last I heard, that employee was still in critical condition in the hospital. Okay? Then in follow-up, you go to the next night, Saturday night. I mean, they had a shooting down there at approximately 2.30 a.m. At least 26 shots were fired. And I had the opportunity to review some video, and it seemed like it happened almost in front of the police. There was a police SUV with officers inside it, okay, right there. And they were talking to officers that were walking the beat, okay. And uh, you saw them all shots ring out, and the officers took cover. Then they started moving toward this thing. I mean, it was complete chaos. Now, in the wake of that, okay, the owner of the Cambodian kitchen said she's having trouble sleeping at night after the 13 bullets that were fired through her business on Friday night. And her employee was hit, went to the hospital in critical condition. Now she's cutting back her hours of operation because of the lawlessness. Another woman, Molly, the owner of Fudge Farm, was forced to close her business because of the violence. She said that she can't ask her employees and her customers to come down there and put themselves at risk. Why is this important, John? Because if we don't get this under control, businesses are all over the south side are going to close. Okay? And this violence is going to go somewhere else. And where is the mayor? Exactly. Absent. You know, rumor has it that he's going to come down and be on Carson Street tonight, walking Carson Street at midnight. Let's see. Maybe he should stick around until 2.30 and see what goes on then. It's like the wild, wild west. Okay? But I've had the opportunity to view his proposed plan to address this violence, and it falls woefully short of any real action. Look. I've talked to law enforcement officials. I've talked to former U.S. attorneys. There are things that can be done to impact the violence in the city of Pittsburgh. You can take it's that every zone, every police zone in the city can identify the top 25 actors in their zone who are causing this violence and this crime. You know, a concerted effort partnered with the U.S. attorney's office, the attorney general's office, the FBI, ATF, and you have the city police and county police going after those top 25 in each of those zones could put a real dent in this violence and this crime that's ravaging our community today. Something needs to be done. It needs to be done now. And uh, we need to call on the mayor to step up and get it done, you know, because we're, we've got a lot of big events that are coming here for the summer. You know, we're going to have things like the fireworks thing here for July 4th. We have the arts festival downtown. We got we Kenny got, Chesney later on tonight. You got Kenny Chesney, you got Picklesburg and things like that. You know, all we need is something like this to happen at one of those events, and we're going to suffer 
significantly, you know, from it. So we need to take and do something about it. We need to do something about it now. Hey, folks, we're getting ready to wrap it up today. So I want to leave you with a couple things here. I know we've thrown a lot of stuff at you today. There's a lot of news happening. But one, hey, I want you, if you're interested in helping out, if you're interested in volunteering, if you want to make a difference, go to www.allegheny.gop and sign up for our newsletter or sign up to volunteer and get involved here. I mean, the Republican Party, we have our slate of candidates as we move forward to November. You know, we have Dr. Mehmet Oz as the U.S. Senate candidate. We have State Senator Doug Mastriano running for governor. We have State Representative Kerry Lewis Del Rosso, who's running for lieutenant governor. We have congressional candidates, Jeremy Schaefer in the PA 17th district. We got Mike Doyle in the PA 12th district. And all of your state senator, state senate and state house candidates out there right now. So folks, if you're interested, let's get involved. Again, I hope to see you. We talked about it. Dr. Oz is coming here this upcoming Monday. That's June 13th. 7 p.m. At Level 20 in Bethel Park. Hope to see you there. Folks, this is Sam DeMarco signing off. We'll see you next week on The Elephant in the Room.